So now that you just put me through the ringer for the last 45 minutes to an hour, are you ready to get put through the ringer a little bit and hear what some of the red flags recruiters have said about travelers? Yeah, let's do it. So I don't think there are that many. Um, and I think a lot of them are just kind of up to perception. Um, it really just kind of depends recruiter to recruiter. Similar to how red flags for recruiters from therapists correlate to some and not to others. I feel that that's kind of the same way here. Uh, the biggest one that I got back was stubbornness slash not listening to their recruiter. I'm going to let you just run with that before I get into any more detail. Okay. Well, I can see why there could be a aversive or like a, just a reaction on both ends if like stubbornness is being brought up because I'm sure someone feels as if one person's being stubborn there must be some resistance or like some tension for decision making so what does it look like are they being indecisive is a traveler being indecisive and being very unrealistic or is a traveler just pretty certain on what they want so I think there's there's definitely a, a lot of situations that could include someone being stubborn in the world of travel healthcare. So I can see that being a possibility. Um, but not listening to recruiter, I am curious to see like, or to hear more about what that means or like what, again, like what the the recruiter is meaning by that. Because Active listening skills are huge when you're connecting with someone that's through a virtual platform. So you have to be sure that you're acknowledging each other because oftentimes we don't meet you in person. So if there is a resistance as well with the listening and to feel as if <laughs> we're not listening to you, it just makes you laugh because we are very strong into like what we want and like what we're hoping for with this lifestyle. So if that's what that means, um, I can see a traveler being stubborn or like being quote unquote, not listening to a recruiter, but I, I want to hear more first. Yeah. So the way that I took the stubbornness and the not listening was I took it pretty matter, matter of factly where you know, recruiters giving recommendations or, you know, being realistic with someone in regards to, you know, if you're looking for something that's super specific, this is going to be really hard to do. Um, you know, and if this is truly what you ultimately want to do, it's going to be hard to go into travel and do this. And I think the biggest thing is not wasting each other's time. And so I think for how they came, were coming across when they were saying like the stubbornness and not listening is when you do have these specific scenarios where say someone only wants to do pelvic floor or only wants to do lymphedema. Yeah. The contracts are out there, but they're not super, you know, they're super sporadic. And if that's truly what you want to do being most recruiters aren't going to try to talk you out of travel um, unless it's something that's not necessarily realistic. Um, and that bullheadedness can come through as, I don't want to say arrogance, but it can come through as, okay, you're not listening to my opinion or what I've been doing this for however long this recruiter or any recruiter has been doing this. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a partnership. And if you're not going to, if it's not going to be give and take, and it's all take from one side or the other, 
well, is that really a good partnership? And that's, I think, where they were kind of going with that. And then I also know the other example I got not listening was when it comes to market trends. Um, you know, how would you call someone or what would your response be if, you know, you said, I only want to make, for example, $2,500 a week, right? I won't take a job less than that. Well, the market doesn't support that. Um <laughs> You know, so you're not listening to, you know, what those market trends are and what jobs are truly available. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I have a couple of thoughts just based off of my experience. I think that when there is some resistance, then maybe it's not a good fit for you. Simply put, I think direct communication is more traveler stubbornness. Just be direct with that. And if you feel as if I'm not listening to you, then tell me, because I think there is maybe a disconnection and that would have to be cleared up because I would want my recruiter to feel as if I'm listening to them because it's a give and take, like you said, like it's a boomerang effect. So if I am not listening, quote unquote, to the recruiter, then maybe they're not going to care to listen to me and my needs and my desires. So it's really important to have that strong communication up front, especially if you feel as if I'm being stubborn because then there's a disconnection, like I said. So when it comes to uh, market trends and not listening and being pretty stubborn in the regards of pay packages, you're right. It does go off of inflation rates and certain states have higher pay and you know all this, Scott. So you know you're the expert in getting us a job. So the traveler can do their own research and also look into the trends to be consistent and so that trust can actually start to form. Because I would say an inexperienced traveler might feel as if, oh, well, I heard someone made that in the past. Well, the market trends could have changed or that person could have pushed um, for a higher bill rate, right? Like you don't know what went on behind the scenes with the other person. So it's really important for the traveler to do their own research and to listen to the recruiter and what they're saying, because there should be consistency within your own research and what they're saying. Otherwise, there's uh, obviously <laughs> room for discussion if there's if the market trends are not consistent on both ends. I feel as if we've talked about this in the first episode. There's three things that you need to rank, as every traveler talks about and every recruiter talks about when you look for a contract, it's pay, it's location, and it's setting. And you can't get all three oftentimes. So you have to have a realistic mindset getting into this industry. And if you want to be very specialized, that's okay. Like Scott said, they come and they go and they often have level two traumas or other very specific settings. But if you're looking for like pelvic floor um, outpatient or whatever it may be, lymphedema certifications, like it's that might be more of a specialty outside of travel. For sure. And I think that comes down to kind of what we were talking about, you know, in this first, first part of this, where communication makes such a big difference, right? You know, you have those open lines of communication and it becomes very simple. It's, hey, I'm going to tell you what the market trends are. I'm going to tell you what's, in my opinion, what's doable or not. You know, if you don't agree with that, that's totally fine. You can go work with someone else. We're not going to be a good fit. My feelings aren't going to be hurt. I'm not going to be upset with you. It just didn't work out. Uh, every company is different with what they offer when it comes to jobs. And some companies have stuff that's a little bit more, um, you know, that niche market. But I think that really kind of correlates into 
the next red flag really well, which is unrealistic expectations. And I think this kind of comes through the age of social media and it comes through, you know, you have new grads that have come out making $23, $24, $2,500 on certain assignments because they're going to the middle of nowhere in a job that is desperate for someone and they can pay that, right? So when it comes to you as a traveler, how do you decide what you view as an unrealistic expectation or not? How do you qualify, kind of qualify all of that? Question. Um, I think there's room for the, like for the traveler to be like stubborn in a way or I guess show a sense of unrealistic demeanor, I guess is what I'm going with. Because for example, most of my contracts, I, I feel like I knew what I wanted next, but I let it be a little bit open. Like I let the door be wide, if this makes sense. So for me, I always think about, okay, what's the location? And I always do peds. So like what location? The pay is in the back of my mind. What location do I actually want next? So when I was leaving Alaska, I knew I just needed the sunshine. I knew it. So, and I picked Hawaii. <laughs> It didn't really matter what island, didn't really matter what setting particularly because I knew how much I wanted the sun. So that was me being stubborn. So if there was a recruiter that was giving me contracts, like not on a coast or not somewhere super warm. I was like, you're, you're not listening to me, right? It goes right back to them. So that was, I think it's, it's okay to be stubborn when you know you want an environment to support your your well-being and the recruiter needs to respect that but when it becomes unrealistic is when I put that out there to Scott hey listen I really need the coast I really need the sun like my body is not doing well in this cold winter environment in Alaska and that my well-being isn't good like I'm very burnt out so I need I need a better balance with my hobbies and just like my environment that I'm in Scott, I need you to find me somewhere warm, somewhere in San Diego, and I need outpatient pediatrics, right? That becomes very specific for Scott versus, hey, Scott, go and find me somewhere warm, a coastal town. It would be great if it's peds, but I'd take anything. Just get me in the sun. For sure. To tie in the specific cities, like, uh, for example, Salt Lake City, Utah, I can sense that one's always like hot, hot, right? Like, you know more about these larger cities. San Diego is always a hot one, a hot job, meaning like it's going to go in a second because they're, they're, they don't come often. Or if they do, like someone, they're going to be a competitive pool looking for that job versus somewhere super remote. Um, like Scott said, these 23 to 2400 um, paying per week, like they're, yeah, they're easy to find because oftentimes they're not a big competitive pool going for these jobs. So if that answers your question, I think getting very specific on exactly what I want. And like, it's great to visualize that because I think it's important to know your why and important to know what you want out of this lifestyle. So I have found like if my recruiter did not have what I wanted. So for example, that was a realistic expectation. I think i I. I can say that because I landed a Hawaii job and it was skilled nursing facility. So I got in the sun after Alaska. It wasn't with Scott, unfortunately, but hopefully next time. 
But it was definitely a realistic expectation. Now, where it became unrealistic and I realized I needed to do my own research is when I wanted to stay in Hawaii and I wanted the school system. Now, multiple agencies don't often have the school districts in Hawaii. So I realized that there is a specific agency that staffs the islands. Now, Scott didn't have access to that because they don't have a contract in Hawaii. So he's not going to give me something like that where I tell him, hey, Scott, find me Hawaii in the school system because I want to stay here. He doesn't have it. So that's unrealistic for total med versus which maybe he does have it. Right. Maybe if, and he can get it. Maybe he can get it. But in the moment, let's just say in the moment he didn't have it. Well, then it's important for the traveler to do their own research to see if it's even a realistic opportunity as a travel therapist to take a school-based job in Hawaii. It becomes your responsibility to see if it's realistic or not, and then go out and seek the agencies that can support that vision that you have. And maybe it's just not a travel contract and you need to go perm and take a perm position, which, yuck, we never do that. But... (laughs) That's like a visualization. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's my visualization for like what I went through and what I had to do to like really seek out and find these contracts that I really wanted. Right. And that totally makes sense. And to me, that's a mindset that I love working with because it's simple. You have that unrealistic goal, right, that you have where if we can make that happen, you made mountains move, right? Everything came exactly how you wanted. But at the same time, you know, you had that, you know, at the time was that what you thought was that unrealistic goal, right? But attached to that, you had options that were very realistic to obtain. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of recruiters potentially get frustrated because it's, you're looking for San Diego outpatient, you know, that's all you want to do right? Well, okay, that job comes up maybe once, twice, three times a year. And when it does, there's 22 submissions to it. You have a year of experience. While I would love for you to get this job and I've seen weirder things happen as your recruiter, I want to be real with the situation. I don't want to tell you, oh my goodness, this is for sure going to happen. And then when it doesn't, you're just so defeated and then you don't know what you want to do. And I think that's a huge huge part of it is being honest and having that where it's like, okay, cool, I'm going to do this, but I don't know if it's actually going to come to fruition or not. This is so important to talk about. You have to get clear on your why. Scott just nailed it. If you do not know what you're looking for and you get super stoked and so optimistic about this potential gig that Scott's working on and is putting his blood, sweat, and tears into getting this contract for you, and it's external factors that don't work out, and then you're starting from square one again because you because the traveler doesn't know what they want to do, that is, that's why you have to get clear on what you want. Like That's why I think there is a sense of stubbornness that has to be within U.S. travel therapists in a, in a, in a spectrum, for thinking a large spectrum, for it's sure, a small, sure. it's a small stubbornness because you know your why, and that's gonna, that's what's going to drive you in this lifestyle. Because Scott just hit it. If you don't know what you want, or if like you get so optimistic and so lost into the excitement of like finding this gig, which is great, like you definitely should be, 
but it's a journey. It's not an outcome. So you can't be tied to the outcome and feel defeated if that contract doesn't come your way. No, it's not meant for you then. You have to be sure that you know what you want in your intuition because that's going to guide you. And it's you might ask, well, how do you know what's what's your intuition is telling you? Meditate. <laughs> Meditate. That's so, that's so true though. Yeah, like meditate and visualize what your highest version or like what is the most epic contract that you want to go on. And then that is what's going to kind of come up for you, your first initial thought. Maybe it's snowboarding, you know, and and you want to get on these mountains. Maybe it's van life. Maybe it's island hopping. You know, like you don't, whoever is listening to this, it's it's unique to you. Like it's not going to be this contracts that I've taken and it might be, and which is great. I want to be your friend, but it just might be something. <laughs> it might be something totally different. Like now, I know I want to free dive nonstop, so I just reached out to another school district. Maybe we'll see, but like to see if I can get into another dive community. I just I seek out these things because my gut's driving me that way. So it's really, sure. really important. Like Scott said to not feel lost in this industry because then he's going to feel lost without knowing what to give you. And it's going to take one to get a gig. Yeah. And the biggest thing about feeling lost is, and it's so hard because everyone's experience in travel is so different, right? I have worked with travelers who've gotten every job they've ever interviewed for. And I have worked with other travelers where it took us 12 interviews before they got a job. You know, this industry will chew you up and spit you out at times. And if you can't roll with that and roll with those punches, like, sorry, but this might not be the space for you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not trying to sound, you know, like an asshole or a jerk there, but it's at times it can be like that. You know, I wish every single person that I had to interview got every job that they got. My life would be a million times easier and it would be great. I'd have no stress ever. Right. But at the same time, that's not realistic. Um, and I tell people, you know, that I have had that have interviewed for almost every job that they've gotten. At a certain point, you're not going to get the job. I hope that it doesn't happen with me. But every time going into that job, I try to be realistic and say, okay, cool. We know there are six other submissions. This might be the time. You know, and it's just so that way, especially when you're so used to getting everything that you're wanting, that when it doesn't happen, it can be, you know, a kick to the dick, realistically, like it can be. And you just, and I think that's where, you know, that relationship with the recruiter is so valuable because they're, I don't want to say that they're your like rock that you're, you know, your steady space, but at times they need it because they know kind of what's going on. They know, okay, how many people are you potentially interviewing against? What's this whole situation? And if that does happen and you think the interview goes really well and then you don't get it, Every single person is going to react to that differently. Some people mm-hmm. are going to be like, cool, fuck this place, don't care. Other people are going to be devastated. You know, and that's where it's so important to understand why you're doing this and understand, okay, I'm going to be realistic. I might not get every job that I get. If I do, I am one of the few lucky ones and I should go buy a lottery ticket. But that like finding out your why and why you're doing this, whether it's to pay off student loans, whether it's to travel, whether it's to make money or basically look at every single person you graduated with and be like, I'm making double what you make. Sucks to be you. Whatever that is, have something, right? I have a secret. 
Can Ooh. I share a secret with you? <laughs> you share a secret. You've gotten every job you've ever interviewed for, haven't you? <laughs> I hope. Projected once. But you know what I did? So I have a, I have a story for everyone listening. I was told no one time. And I, yeah, Scott, you're right. We feel like we feel like we deserve every job we interview for we do so maybe that's a red flag in all of our travels um but so the secret is i interviewed for the virgin islands a year prior to me going there and i don't think many people know that so meg shout out to meg cotter meg and i were gonna go to the virgin islands in um the school district of 20 instead of me going 2022 to 2023 is where I ended up but I did not have school experience at that time Meg did Meg had like only a contract so like only like five months of school experience and I had none and we interviewed and we made it through the first round but since it was a territory it was a little bit more intense they wanted to make sure we were a good fit before going to the island in the Caribbean and we didn't get it and, I, and it was because I didn't have experience. So I took that as a journey, not a disappointment. I mean, yeah, we were super disappointed, but we ended up going to Hawaii instead and had a grand old time. So it's a journey. It's not a outcome. We cannot be attached. We have to practice non-attachment. And the best thing about this industry is, guess what I did the following year? Hey, this is Chelsea. I ended up getting school experience. I would love to re-interview for this position for next school year. Send. And they responded back to me and they were like, we would love to have another interview with you. So it's never an end journey. Like you cannot think of it as like, oh, I won't get that next time. Or it's not meant to be like in that moment, it's not meant to be, but doesn't mean that it won't come oh, like come your way in the future. And then I went to the Virgin Islands. So I, yeah, I was able to make it happen and go and do the school experience and get that and then reapply. So oftentimes when you are told no, it's just because there is someone that had more experience. Travel therapy is that it's not really or there's just a different personality maybe that they wanted or that they were looking for. It's not you. It's not anything that you've done wrong. It's truly what they are looking for or what they need. Um, and then you go out and get that experience if you need to. It's funny because whenever I get told no, or like if I ever submit, because I am the recruiter where I'll submit anyone to anything. If you want to do it and you think you can do it, I'm going to let the facility say no. I'm not going to yeah. take that out of your hands and I'm going to let you send this over. And then we're going to get that feedback, right? Because me saying no in a facility saying no, two drastically different things, right? Totally. But I always think of whenever I get told a no, for a situation that even if I didn't think it was going to work out, I immediately go to that Friends episode with Ross on the couch where it's just pivot, pivot. Like, because that's what, that's what travel is. You know, sometimes you have to take that job, not necessarily where you want to go, but to get that experience that you want to move forward in your career. Yeah. You know, and that's so valuable and so big. And that's why mindset is so important in this industry. Is, yes. Okay. I really want to do, you know, an acute hospital position. I have no acute experience. I've only worked, you know, outpatient. I've only worked skilled nursing, which, yeah, some of that's, those skills definitely do correlate. But I want to go to a big city and do this. Okay, cool. Let's do 
one assignment somewhere that's not going to be a major city that's not going to be super competitive where they're going to be grateful to have you and you're going to get more training at that facility most likely than you would somewhere else as well mm-hmm. and that's a huge thing is that pivot and like that mindset um mm-hmm. which that's great because that actually brings us over to one of the uh next red flags is improper mindset and that's very broad very very broad and that can be taken a million different ways um but when you're connected in this industry, you, you're able to figure out pretty quickly what someone's mindset is. So my question for you is, what are your thoughts on someone having an improper mindset in the travel world and you know how to kind of combat that? Or why do you think a recruiter would see that as a red flag? Or why would you not see that as a red flag? It's really hard to get into this lifestyle, figure this out on your own, and then try to flourish, especially as a new graduate. So I'm going to have a gentle reminder that you can establish the mindset that I'm about to talk about. And you might not have it getting started, but it's important to open up your mind and to take on new perspectives and to practice these perspectives. Because what I've been drilling at with non-attachment, that's a pr- daily practice. You can, you just, you have to practice that daily. That's the only thing I'm going to say. You have to let it go. You have to let it go and you have to rewire your brain. And it's not an easy mindset. It's not. It's hard work. Now, an improper mindset can be worked on. That doesn't mean that you're not meant for this lifestyle. I think when we throw that out there that it's not for everyone, I truly believe that it is. It's just a mindset shift or that it's a personality trait that needs to be flourished or blossomed within you to really make this lifestyle work. Now, what are these personality traits that are willingness to learn and to be a fast learner? So there's lots of traits that you can establish and be confident with. With the mindset that I have now doing this lifestyle for consecutive years is truly abundance. I know that I can be the best occupational therapist to my kiddos, the best solo traveler who's safe and, and oriented their, to their environment, and a deep freediver. Like I, I can, and then also be an amazing friend to my community. Like right now, I have a visitor in Hawaii visiting me. So, I am balancing a lot of roles, but I have an abundance mindset through this lifestyle. And that's why I think I've succeeded so much with it because I see it as life is and, not or. So that's right. one of the mindsets that you have to practice. It's not it's not a lifestyle that um, <laughs> is limited. Like you have so much options. And so then how do you welcome so many opportunities and balance it all? And that's through this abundance mindset. I think the other mindset that I practice is a growth mindset. I think that's a huge one because this lifestyle is not easy. So if you're showing an improper quote unquote mindset, that means that you're resisted to change, that you have a structured routine and that it's very hard for you to adapt. So if you can rewire your brain to see that things or these experiences that you are having on the road or dealing with these recruiters is happening for you instead of 
to you. So there's a shift there if you can realize that. The four is that there's something that is giving to, like it's being brought to you to learn from and to adapt with. So for example, something super like minimal, I guess I can go with is that when um, I was looking to buy a car or looking to find housing, let's do the housing example. When I wasn't able to find housing with Megs and I in Hawaii the first time around because I brought on like 500 travel nurses I thought to myself, why is this happening to us? It's so easy to go right there to think like, right. of course, all these other nurses are getting housing, but why us? Why are we struggling? Because I desperately wanted the sun. <laughs> I think I could do anything to get into the sun and get into Hawaii. And here I am back two years later, like loving life. But I was like, I need it. I need to get there. I like, felt it. And I kept thinking like, why is this happening to us? And then, so I now have like learned through all these experiences that there's, there's room for growth throughout all that. And there ended up being a beautiful situation and we found housing eventually. And so as long as you can have that patient demeanor, that life is going to present itself to you in the natural course. Like I wasn't meant to go to the Caribbean the year prior. I know that now I wasn't ready for it. Solo travel. I was not ready for that contract. And now I know, like afterwards, I know that because it's pretty intense. It's very remote. And I needed Hawaii to prep me as an island before going to a really intense island. (laughs) So, again, it's a journey. And I think the abundance and growth mindset are the two mindsets that you should totally vibe with and kind of like start to like research and to listen to podcasts and learn how to rewire your brain because it's possible. It's absolutely possible and I think I have a question for these listeners and I would love for you to message me your answer but if I were to ask you if you in this past year if I were to ask are you a happy person or are you someone who feels as if you're constantly having negative thoughts like what is what is the most common thoughts that come into your brain every day is it positive or negative right that's what you have to ask yourself on a daily consistent basis to rewire your brain and to learn how to feel empowered. For sure. And I think that's a, you know, a good kind of stepping stone is challenging your brain. And, you know, are you a happy person? Are you not a happy person? And just because you're not always a happy person isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, I kind of view it as people that know me or that work with me in, you know, on our side of things know that I get, very cranky very quickly at times but I try to be one of those people where I'm going to get it off my chest and then I'm just moving on from it um and I think as a traveler that's a really big thing for you guys as well is okay cool this happened I'm going to process it however I need to process it and then I'm going to move forward um and that to me is so big Mm -hmm. because there's so many things in the travel world that are truly are uncontrollable and you always have to make the best out of any situation, even if it's a terrible situation. You know, mm-hmm. try to make the best out of it and try to have the right mindset because that mindset is going to really help you get through that. Mm-hmm. Having that support system, having the people that you can talk to, having those ways that you need to vet, whether it's, you know, going for a run, um, reading, cooking, cleaning. My mother is a psychotic cleaner. When she gets stressed, she'll literally call me and be like, does your house need to be clean? And then we'll drive three hours to come clean my house. <laughs> Like, cool, thanks. Like, didn't need this, but I appreciate it. 
but you know, and I think I think mindset is attached to so many different things. Um, the traveler world is a beautiful world, and it comes with a lot of perks. And this is going to kind of tie into our next red flag. That to me, this is more of a yellow flag. It's not really a red flag to some recruiters. I know this bothers them more than others. Um, but it's excessive RTL. It's excessive time off. Um, and a big thing for that is travel gives you the flexibility to be able to go work all these places. A lot of travelers work, you know, 10, 11 months a year, nine months even, and then have all this time off. I understand that there are certain things that come up that you can't get out of, right? I'm not going to tell you, okay, cool. You have to cancel every vacation that you ever have planned, you know, if you're going to do a contract or this. But I think a big thing is being realistic with that time off. You know, if you're having, you know, you're on a 13 week assignment, all of a sudden you want to take two weeks of it off. Okay. Well, what's the situation for that? You know, let's be realistic on this and figure out a solution or, you know, facilities might say no to it because they have the need for you. And now you're going to go there, help them, then disappear, then come back, then disappear, then come back. Mm. Mm-hmm. What would can be considered in a uh, recruiter's mind for excessive? Can you kind of share what that spectrum Yeah, so that's going to be one of those things where every recruiter is going to be a little bit different. A lot of people I know, anything over seven days. There are a lot of facilities that even won't take more than seven days of RTO or of time off. It just kind of depends. Um, for me, it's 10. You're taking more than 10 days, but it also depends on how those 10 days are broken up. There are other factors that go into that. You know, is it a extension? Have you already been there for three months? You're extending for three months and you want to take 10 days off. To me, that's a lot different than, okay, cool. I am on a contract for 13 weeks. Then, you know, three weeks into it, I need to take 10 days off in a row. That's another big thing is, is this time all consecutive? Right, because certain facilities you can make up time on different days. And that's where that's why I say this is a yellow flag. I'm never gonna tell someone I'm not gonna submit you to this job because of your RTO. Now, certain facilities I can't submit you to that job because they have a strict limit you can only have up to seven days. So that's where to me it's a yellow flag. To other recruiters, it is a huge thing. What are your kind of thoughts on taking time off during an assignment? And I know this is one of those this is kind of a quick one, but it's one of those where everyone kind of views it a little bit differently. Thanks for explaining more about excessive. I think for my travels and my travel contracts, I've haven't taken much more. I think I really haven't taken many days at all. Um, maybe like a wedding or um, a couple, like I think less than five, like a handful is my is my story. With that, I use my off time to refill my cup. I understand there's obligations and commitments within your own support system or your own inner circle. So there could be something that you desperately want to do, like a cruise that's consecutive days or other travels that are going to require your time try to plan that off contract as a travel therapist you're there to work you're there to make the money that way you can have time off without the stress of a job and that's one of the beautiful things about this life is that you can take as much time during your off contract so 
you can always apply for a shorter term. Like if you know there's some days that you need off, like futuristic thinking, maybe a month or two down the line, there's always like those eight week contracts, right, Scott, something like that, that you could apply for that could be more realistic on your timeline. That way it's a win-win for the client that you're going to be working for, for Scott finding you the job, and then for you. And then the potential to go back after you already have the experience there after your trip or something like that could also work. You can probably shorten the dates. Um, but yeah, right. you're there to work. You're there to work. And um, that's, yeah, I can see that as a a reason for why you're not wanting to work with a traveler. And that's like, and that's one of those things where that's, this is one of those that really just depends recruiter to recruiter. Um, I've never said I'm not going to work with someone because they have excessive time off. Now, that's me personally. I know other recruiters who have, and it's just finding that balance, right? That works for you. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's important to know what what your, recruiter, what your recruiter views as, okay, is this something that's doable or not? You know, and that mm-hmm. comes to that communication and, you know, understanding, hey, this recruiter is going to tell you that this job might not be a possibility because there are other submissions that probably have less time off. So those are all the factors that you kind of need to take into effect and, you know, not be stubborn, you know, when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. Um, The next red flag, which I'm really curious what your thoughts are. We have two more, two more. Um, Working with too many companies is one that I got from multiple people. As honestly, if you're working with too many companies, just whatever, I don't care. Go away. Mm. I have not taken a contract consecutively with an agency. So I know there's difference. There's a different spectrum with that because I know travelers who have constantly taken contracts with the same agency for consecutive years. So I am a unique breed. And yes, I do work with other agencies, but it's because I'm so sure of my why. I'm not sure if we addressed this yet in this uh, series of our podcast episodes, but direct versus indirect contracts. So no, we haven't. That's something that we'll definitely do. That will be a future. That's a call to action to listen to our next episode (laughs) or whenever that will that one will come. But I think that's why I would work with other agencies is when there's direct contracts for what I want. Like prime examples of Caribbean. Um, however, I can see it becoming an issue when you are working with recruiters that have the same positions that are in direct contracts and you're just kind of like bouncing around between the agencies that looks like you're shopping around and you're not loyal. So that's the difference. It's like, yeah, you can do it the unique way that I have where I just, just, I kind of am my own recruiter. I am very a unique breed as a travel therapist. I kind of seek out where I want to go and then go find the agency. So I kind of am my own recruiter, which we can have a different topic again about that. Versus having Scott, having Mackenzie, having Jess, having all these other names down the line out of blanket lists and like running through them as like, hey, Scott, what's your best pay package? Or what's, hey, Jess, what's your best pay package for the same exact job? Yes, it's good, right? Yes, it's good because you want to see the trends and you want to see what they have to offer, but you got to stay loyal. 
you have to stay loyal to two recruiters, I would say. And I think that's a respect on the recruiter side, like having loyalty with another recruiter is probably okay with them having all these other recruiters in the back of your like pockets just to pull out just to get a buck more is a sense of disloyalty. Like that's just not being loyal. So I think I can understand it as a red flag. It's definitely, there's definitely some elaboration like that I just explained of why I definitely use with like multiple recruiters. And I think it's important, like I said, to test the waters. But once you go to like, once you start this connection with a recruiter and you really enjoy their energetic and you're really enjoying just like chatting to them, eventually they're going to go to bat for you. It's a long-term hustle. So that extra buck might not be worth it because long-term, Scott might get you 50 more bucks. Like, you never know. I'm just making a little silly example. But you really need to think of this industry as a long-term hustle. Building recruiter relationships is not a short fix, like Scott's saying. Like, there's definitely things that we do without thinking it through, which is shopping around because we want just that short fix of what we're looking for, that highest paying gig, that 2300 per week, whatever it may be. And it's great if you find it. Like, that's great. But it, it's definitely it's definitely a short-term mindset. You have to see this as a long-term hustle with these recruiters. Absolutely. And I think you touched on kind of like what the last red flag that I was going to bring up in that um, you know, in that sentiment there. And it comes down to the way I look at it is I don't care if you're working with other agencies. At the end of the day, I don't. It's never been, you know, something that bothers me. The people that I have, you know, my crazy good relationships, you know, I'll make jokes every now and then be like, really, you're going to cheat on me? But I get it. At the end of the day, I get it, right? This is about your career furthering your career. I'm not going anywhere. You know, you can go do a job with another company and you take your next one with me. Great. If you don't, that's fine as well. It's not going to change our relationship. Where... I can see it and where I have stopped working with people is they're taking the same job to five companies and saying, what's the best you can pay me? What's the best you can pay me? And when it comes down to it, it really, there's so many factors that go into what a company can pay you. How big is that company? What's their overhead? What are the benefits that that company has, right? What's the experience of that recruiter at that company? There are all different things that kind of go into the pay. Now, the recruiter's experience doesn't necessarily affect your guys' pay, but it does affect your guys' potential contract. What happens if something goes wrong and you're dealing with, you know, a new recruiter that doesn't know what to do, right? Now you're bringing two, three other people into into play to potentially solve this issue. Um, that's why I try to do almost no negotiations when it comes to pay. I That's not saying I don't negotiate. Absolutely, I will. But the majority of the time, I'm going to pay you the best that I can pay you right off the bat because I want you to feel appreciated. And I don't want to do this back and forth where, okay, this company's paying me an extra $20 a week. Why can you not pay me this? Well, I can give you an exact reason why I can't pay you this, but I don't want to do that. You know, if $20 really is going to make that much of a difference to you over the course of the contract, I'll Venmo you $20 a week. And I have done that. And Everyone said, you are such an absolute asshole for doing that. But part of me was doing it to prove a point where I'm going to go above and beyond for you. 
that if you really think that I'm not worth this extra 20 bucks a week, that's fine. That's your own decision. But I know my self-worth and I know what I bring to the table as a recruiter. And I know I'm going to have your back. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's, that's where the too many agencies in the price shopping gets really frustrating because yes, I'll go back and forth with you. I will go get VP approval if I have to, to get you the pay that you need. Sure. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going all those steps to do that, and then you're still going to tell me no, well, now I just look like an asshole to everyone in my company. We're like, cool, I'm glad we spent the time, gave you the approval to do something that we don't normally to do, basically for them to tell you to fuck off. Mm. Which, that's how I've always viewed it. And I don't have issues, as you know, with you working with other companies. Right. Right? But it's that, to me, it's a respect thing where if you're doing this and, you know, that 20, 30, 40 extra dollars a week is that big of a deal to you, that's fine. That's your per that's your prerogative. But I might not be that recruiter for you. I'm gonna give you the best pay that I can give you at all times. But I'm not gonna mm -hmm. sit here and say, okay, you know, company B is paying this, company C is paying this, company D is paying this, company A is paying this. Well, why are these two more? Like, are you trying to cheat me out of money? No, I'm not. They're just different overheads, there are different margins, there's different everything for every company. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a mistake early on in this industry is doing that. So I can see that as a red flag. And this is a prime example to do your own research as a traveler. Yes, these agencies are going to provide you with maybe explanations of why the bill rate is this, like Scott's saying, in different agencies because of different way that they're built for their companies. But just do your own research. Look at the city data. See what the per diem rates are. There is information out there for you to know what the max out stipends are. So it's it's on you, to uh, you as a traveler, to also make sure it's consistent with what they're saying. And then think about your your life on contract. Who do you want to be your best friend on that contract? Is it just random person who's paying you 20 bucks an hour? Or is it Scott who's going to call you and make sure you're okay and like check in with you and make sure that the, you know, your personality and like your personal life is going well and you're making friends and he cares. And so I think there's definitely, like I'm saying, it cannot be a short-term fix. Sometimes you don't talk to your, sometimes like, for example, I don't talk to my recruiter much right now. And guys, it's a prime example of that. I literally found this job myself and reached out to an agency. So like you can tell, like obviously Scott and I have built a relationship. So I'm so stoked to get out on a contract with Total Med with him. And all and like my, my one other recruiter who I've been pretty loyal to, even though I'm not on a contract with them, I still connect with them and I wish them like my other recruiter had just her wedding and her bachelorette party just like over the fall. And I was seeing pictures and chatting to her. So there's definitely still room for you to keep these loyal like loyalties with, even if you're on a contract with a different agency, because it's a long term hustle. So especially when there's a job that pops up that Scott's going to have for me, it's just going to be more consistent our value systems already placed, the energetics already there, and it's just finding me the job that I want. So 
I really want you to find that as well. Find these two recruiters that are going to be honest with you and support you while you're on contract. That transparency would pay what Scott said up front with how he's not going to play games. He's just going to give you what it is up front. That's a green flag. If there's a recruiter who's magically having more money for you down the line, that's a little bit iffy, which we talked about in the previous episode. So go tune into that if you missed the recruiter red flags. Yeah, that's definitely, I can see that. I can see that being a red flag shopping around. The other big thing too on that is if there's a company you want to work with and you see a ridiculous pay package, bring that to the recruiter and say, hey, can you guys do this? Or can you get close to it? Or just find out. You know, don't, I always get, the thing that annoys me the most is you're pitting me against another company. And I guess for me, this is different because of how I've kind of operated when it comes to pay and, you know, the margins and stuff that we run, or that I should say that I run, is I don't like going into things blind because if you're someone that I enjoy working with, I'm going to go to bat for you. And if you're showing me a pay package, even if I'm not at that number, well, I'm going to take it to the people that I need to take it to. And I'm even going to try to do everything I can to beat. You know, and that's where that relationship matters. When you have that person that you care about and, you know, that you have that good rapport with, you'd be surprised what the recruiter is going to try to do for you. Mm, I love that. You. <laughs> well, I am would... sweating a little bit over here defending us travelers, but that wasn't so harsh. You were, you were nice. That was way easier than what I had to go through. That is all I have to say about that topic. That is all I have to say. But um, this concludes our first episodes on red flags. I'm sure we'll do a couple more because I know there's definitely recruiter red flags that are popping up all the time. But that's all that I got for this episode. Chelsea, you got anything else? No, um, that was good. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for listening. And we will see you guys again in two weeks. You? Shoot.